This episode of Get Booked is sponsored in part by the Read Harder Journal. Created by us here at Book Riot, this smartly designed reading log consists of entry pages to record stats, impressions, and reviews of each book you read. And evenly interspersed among these entry pages are 12 unique challenges inspired by our annual Read Harder initiative, which began in 2015 to encourage readers to pick up Passover books, try out new genres, and choose titles from a wider range of voices and perspectives. So you can get a new current new perspective on current events by reading a book written by an immigrant or find a hidden gem by reading a book published by an independent press and so much more. And each challenge includes an inspiring quotation, an explanation of why the challenge will prove to be rewarding, and five book recommendations that fulfill the challenge. So go to bookriot.com slash readharderjournal to buy one. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 166, and we are recording on January 29th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. Hello. Hello. My neighbors are installing some kind of, I, I don't know, there's like four tractors and a bobcat and what? some trucks next door, and everything is beeping, and there's a lot of noise. All that to say, there might be a lot of noise on this oh, show. I'm not entirely sure what's happening over there. Well, you sound all right to me, except that that sounds super annoying. Yeah, it's fine. It's Aww. fine. You didn't feel like podcasting from your closet today? I don't know. I'd have to move my shoes, and that would just take, just take forever. Yeah, We'll just deal with the beeping. I don't know. Indeed. And the, the construction sounds. What are they built? I'm so nosy. I'm literally like leaning in my window right now. Like, what are you guys doing over there? Maybe the fir- my first uh, thought now about all of these things after having watched so many episodes of like Love Your Garden and Big mm. Dreams Small Spaces is like, maybe they're putting in a water feature. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. I don't know. I Yeah, we'll find out. Anyway, this is not. I just like saying the words "water feature." Water really, in that what is that guy's name who hosts that show? Uh, well, big, which one? Big dreams, small spaces. Uh, no. Monty. Monty, love your garden. Yeah, he's so yeah. soothing. Yes, they he's got that soothing. like untoxic masculinity thing that I really mm. like. Monty does. I love him so much. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Monty Don. Mm-hmm. <laughs> big U.S. love for Monty Don. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what are you reading? Um, I just started Insurrecto by Gina Apostol, which came out in November and is super trippy. It's not well. Is trippy the right word? It's very literary. <laughs> um, it's very like. Italo Calvino Nabokov meta mm. literature um, set in the Philippines. It's about a Filipino translator and a, um, a movie maker, filmmaker from America who are like collaborating on writing a film script about a massacre that happened in the Philipp- during the Philippine American War. Um, but of course, this like super rich white lady from the U.S. and this not super rich translator from the Philippines have conflicting ideas about what should go into the script. So. Um, but there's like there's footnotes and there's it's just very it, it, Calvino. It's like very Calvino. So huh. I'm having to I was like, I'll read this while I'm watching The Office. No, no. <laughs> Every silence. I need silence while I'm reading this book. What about you? I started Marlon James's first ever fantasy novel, yes. uh, Black Leopard Red Wolf. And can I just tell you that this is violent AF. Like the in the first like three pages, there's like harm to children and domestic violence and like 
torture and all of the stuff. Um, it's intense, yeah. So just leaning but, into that Game of Thrones comp. Exactly. Like, <laughs> leaning right into it. And, you know, not a surprise. Like, we've both read mm-hmm. Marlon James, I think. And, you know, I you, you kind of know what you're getting with him at this point in his career. Um, but I will say that, like, it also leans right into that, like, like, they've been pitching it as the African Game of Thrones. First of all, I personally believe it's better written than Game of Thrones. Second Ooh. of all, it's, I know, I said it. Oh, don't <laughs> at me. Don't at me. Oh, God. Um, I mean, he is a writerly writer, so it, it is better to me. I, other people might disagree. Um, but the the world building is like, oh, really lush and intense and vibrant. And so, um, yeah, just super super immersive so um so far it's good although it is a doorstop like it's gonna take me a while i was hoping to have it read by pub date but like i just don't know if that's gonna happen because that's next tuesday Mm -hmm. and like life um but we'll see you know we'll see let's see how does this show work you might be asking yourself i will (laughs) tell you it is a reading recommendation show as we mentioned at the top which means that you send us questions about what you should read next based on your favorite books or what you could get for a friend or a relative what your book club maybe could read any and all of those things we will do our best to find you a great pick if you have a date by which you would like the answer please put that and and the words time sensitive um, when you submit your question and you can submit them either by email it's getbooked at bookriot.com or you can drop them in the form that's at the bottom of the show notes on the site for every episode we do our best uh, sometimes if we're not going to get to it on air by the date you specified we will send along an email response or if you've asked a question that we've answered a time or two we might also send you an email for those uh, we have a little feedback from previous episodes um, for episode 163 mom memoirs question Jessica from insiders recommends made MIA. M-A-I-D, I can spell, um, by Stephanie Land about a young woman who is pushed into domestic service work following an unplanned pregnancy. She says there's a lot about labor and work and classism, but her love for her daughter really shines through. And I think this will be the next educated. Mm. Interesting. Um, and then Morgan came across a book recently that was so perfect for the books about food slash anxiety question, Eat Yourself Calm by Gil Paul. Uh, hasn't yet read it, but so can't attest to it personally, but based on the back cover and Goodreads reviews. It looks like it checks the boxes that New Year New Me is looking for. Thank you so much for those extra recommendations. Um, all right, so Amanda's going to read our first question and tell us about our first sponsor, and away we go. All right, question one is from Emma, who says it's almost my brother's birthday. He's finishing up the Dune series and really likes the dynamic of a villain who has to do good in order to ultimately do evil. He's looking for more books with this concept, or vice versa, where the good guy has to do bad to do good. I'm a former bookseller, but I've got nothing. He's also a linguist, if that helps. I realize this is super specific, but I'm hoping you can help me be a better sister for his birthday. Please no YA or romance. I've linked his Goodreads so you can see what he normally reads. That was really helpful, by the way. It was. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, link your Goodreads. Send it to us if you send us questions so we could see uh, what you've already read. Okay, our first sponsor sounds amazing. I'm just going to say that. It is The Plotters by Unsu Kim. And this is described as if Wes Anderson wrote a literary thriller. 
Yes, I am here for that. So it's set <laughs> in an alternate seal where assassins gather in this headquarters that they call the library. And the story follows the main character named Racing, who is a lifelong hitman whose every move is dictated by the anonymous organization called the Plotters. Then one day he steps out of line on a job and he finds himself totally embroiled in this like huge deadly scheme that's completely off the book. Um, and all of the character, uh, in true Wes Anderson's fashion, everyone is quirky in this book. So like the antagonist are a trio of sisters. One of them is a librarian. One of them is a quote-unquote chronic knitter. Don't know what that means, but I'm into it. And the other is a convenience store clerk. Um, the hitman has two cats that he names Desk and Lampshade. Why? <laughs> Go to find out. So if you like Wes Anderson, quirky takes on genre, um, genre fiction, that I think this is definitely for you. So that is The Plotters by Unsu Kim. So go check that out. Okay, I'm going to keep talking. Mm-hmm. Um... So, good guys doing bad to do good, or bad guys doing good to do bad? Yeah? Okay. Um, I picked V.E. Schwab's Shades of Magic series. Um, The first one is A Darker Shade of Magic. And the thing that V.E. Schwab writes, I think, in pretty much every, every book of hers, is characters who cannot be classified as good or evil, ultimately. Like, there are bad guys in the, you know, there are antagonists and protagonists, I think I should say, um, but antagonists and protagonists does not always equate to always good, always bad. Her heroes are jerks. Like, everyone in this book is a jerk. Um, but, you know, like a lovable kind of jerk. And then the the people who you're supposed to be rooting against um, are... Uh, it turned out to be awesome. So there's a lot of that, you know, good guys doing bad, but you love them kind of a thing. And also the bad guys who turn out to do good so that they can get their own way. Um, so it's all very complicated. Hashtag complicated morality. Um, so in this, this is a trilogy. It's a high, it's a fantasy novel that uh, takes place in, well, three different Londons. And that's the setup of the universe is that there's a red London, gray London, and a white London. And in each London, um, these are parallel universes. And in each one, they have a different relationship with magic. So in, in red London, magic is flourishing. Pretty much everybody's got access to it. Um, in gray London, that's our London, essentially. Uh, there is no there is no real magic happening. Uh, in white London, there is magic, but it's very scarce. People will hurt each other um, really desperately to get it. Uh, and then there was a black London, but that's been destroyed. And the main character's name is Kel, and he works for the royal... Well, he's been adopted by the royal family, and his job is to travel between these parallel universes, sending messages between the rulers of the various um, Londons. Um, he's kind of like a, like a diplomat, essentially. He's, he's part of the family, but not. Um, he's an orphan, and he knows that he feels like very separated from his family, uh, his adopted family, the royal family, except for his brother, who his adopted brother, who he is very, very close to. Um, and... On the side, he's also smuggling stuff in between these these Londons is like a sense of adventure, and it eventually gets him into tons and tons of trouble. Uh, and I'm, I won't go further into the plot except to say that um, there's also a thief with a heart of gold who wants to be a pirate, so that's always fun. Um, <laughs> yeah, just adventure. It's a very like swashbuckly adventure fantasy where everyone is a little bit you want to punch him in the face, <laughs> which I think is exactly, it's just a thing that you feel when you're reading Dune too. Like everyone in Dune's a little bit punchable. So that's A Darker Shade of Magic by B.E. <laughs> Schwab. They are. Truer <laughs> words, Amanda. Except for Jessica. I really, really, she's yes. awesome throughout, has no faults. Everyone else is super punchable. Agree. Hard agree. Um, yeah. So yes, it was super uh, helpful to have the Goodreads because I wasn't sure if he would have already read my pick, but he did not have it listed. So I'm going to go with no. Um, it's The Traitor Baru Cormorant by Seth Dickinson and like talk about hashtag complicated morality. <laughs> oh, Lord. So 
This follows a young woman named Baru Cormorant, as you might have guessed from the title. And she grows up on this sort of idyllic island um, that's, you know, part of trade routes and has people coming and going, but is, you know, very sort of free and easy and, you know, accepting of all different kinds of lifestyles. Like the family unit in this concept is like three people. Um Plus kids, um, if 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 appropriate, and so uh, it's like a very flexible and nice place to grow up. And then the Empire of Masks uh, comes through and basically colonizes the island through like famine and economics. Um, you know, they like flood the trade market and mess with the currency and also unleash some plague. And in the meantime, she's been recruited by them back when they seemed like a good idea to trade with um, to go to this special school for talented youths. Um, which where she, you know, they attempt to re-educate her um, and she loses her family and her ho- homeland gets renamed. And it's very like she knows what's going on. She also happens to be uh, basically like an, a math savant um, and economics is the thing that she is best at. And so while she's getting trained up to be super good at this and to use her skills for the empire, she's like basically like I will get as much power as I can so that I can, like, try to protect or revenge my homeland and my family. Um, and she gets sent to another place that the Empire is working on, you know, controlling. And there's a rebellion afoot. And, like, every action she takes, you're like, is she doing good or is she doing <laughs> bad here? Like, what is her game plan? Because the book doesn't always tell you. Like, you don't know. You know that she's plotting the bejesus out of everything but you don't know her end game and sometimes she doesn't even know her end game aside from like her ultimate end game which is to get as much power as she possibly can to then redo things in her own will um and the sequel just came out uh called the monster brew cormorant so you can guess how well this goes (laughs) like it is dark 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 um oh and this book should come with trigger warnings for institutionalized homophobia uh and i think that's and well there's a lot of torture too um it's not it's not cheerful it's grimdark it is grimdark um but yeah it's really so complicated oh gosh and like it's amazing how complex and like likable and also punchable the characters are like you're like rooting for them but you're also like oh should i be rooting for you i don't know i'm so confused like that's that this is that kind of book so it has all of the moral complexity that you could possibly want um and again that is the traitor baru cormorant it's the first in the masquerade series by seth dickinson All right. Our next question is from Veronica, who says, I'm looking for literary fiction audiobooks that are so engrossing they'll help me forget, say, that I'm doing household chores or facing a stressful day at work. The books that have fit this bill for me in the past are The Nyx, The Changeling, The Miniaturist, Swing Time, The Circle, and Rebecca. Preferences, under 12 hours, no graphic sex scenes, and light to no cursing. Uh, Amanda, what you got? I picked The Wanderers by Meg Howery. Um, which I, it is literary fiction. It's got a little bit of a sci-fi edge because it's about astronauts going to Mars. Um, and I think it's set a tiny bit in the future, uh, but very low sci-fi. Like there are no aliens in this book that we know of. Hey-o. Mm-hmm. Um, but I picked it because there is a bit of a mystery that unfolds throughout the book that is, makes the book really, really engrossing. So if you are trying to ignore the fact that you're folding laundry, 
you, I actually did have a moment where I was doing laundry while I was listening to this on audio because I did listen to an audio. It's about eight hours, so it should be fine, um, where I just stopped. Like I found out, I realized that it had been like 10 minutes and I was just listening and I wasn't actually moving my hands or doing anything. So um, I think it'll fit the bill. And uh, who are going to Mars. So they've been hired by like a private, like Elon musk kind of private um, space company to go to the, on the first manned mission to Mars. Uh, Helen, Yoshi, and Sergei are, the, are their names. And... They have been very specifically selected, like the makeup, the composition of this, like two men and a woman. It's all their ethnic differences. Everything has been like meticulously picked. These are the three perfect people for this crew. But before they actually go, they have to spend 17 months in a sim, like in a simulator um, to make sure that they won't, you know, go bonkers or lose or like completely space craziness, I guess. Like, there's a specific word for it. I don't remember from the book. Um, Extreme claustrophobia, that kind of stuff. And they also want to do the simulation so that the people who work for the space company can throw a bunch of problems at them and see how they solve them. Um, So it's 17 months of practice, basically. But as the book progresses, you get, it's very, very character driven. Like, not a lot is happening except they're stuck in a tube together. Um, And you get flashbacks into their personal lives, their marriages, Helen's relationship with her daughter, which is very strained. Um, and while this is happening, the, the, the astronauts start to realize that, like, maybe this isn't a simulation. Like, there are small clues that lead them to think that perhaps they are actually on a real, like, a real rocket uh, going to actual Mars, and as the book goes, you get more and more of that conflict of that, like, wait, are they actually in a simulation, or is this real, or, like, what's happening? While at the same time, you are following their, the people they have left at home and the uh, the ways that they have to deal with, like, their, you know, spouse's fame, um, the fact that they're going to be away from their partner for two years, and, like, how are they going to handle that? Uh, so, yeah, very character-driven with a, a bit of a mystery. The science stuff is fascinating in, that, in the same way that, like, the science in The Martian is fascinating, where it's just familiar enough that, like, I know what's going on, but advanced enough that I that it keeps me interested. So I think this is a really good pick uh, for an audiobook. So that's The Wanderers by Meg Howery. I did love that book mm-hmm. as well. That's a good one. Um, I noticed you had some historical fiction, gothic fiction on there. And so I picked The Burial Rites by Hannah Kent, which is uh, takes place in Iceland in 1829. And it's the like retelling, this is based on a true story, um, about the a young woman who was accused of murder and was the last person to be uh, sentenced to execution in Iceland. Um, and her name is Agnes. And she, like in 1800s Iceland, like when you're awaiting your conviction slash execution, they don't really have prisons at this point. So what happens is you get sent to basically do like labor for a farm family. So you're getting both Agnes, who's the accused, um, you're getting her perspective, and then the perspective of the family who she goes to like live with and work for. And she has guards, but like the mother of this family is like you are putting a murderess in my house like no thank you um but of course she doesn't really have a choice like there's reasons why this is happening um and why they picked them and uh a priest is sent to like try to you know get a confession from her or you know repentance and religious comfort etc cetera, etc cetera. um and agnes is sort of slowly unspooling the story of how she got to this point to this young priest uh who's like trying to save her soul so there's it's very and it's really atmospheric you know you feel like you're there and you can you know your hands are dirty on the farm and you know there's a lot of tension about like 
yeah, how, like, what happened to Agnes and how did she get here? Um, and, uh, and I think it will, like, it definitely kept me immersed in the story. I wanted so badly to know, like, how did we get here and what's going to happen to her? Um, and, and I think that, yeah. And, and the audiobook, ha, I checked and it's like, it's like 10 hours and 58 minutes. It's like just under the wire. So that qualifies as well. I have not listened to the audiobook, so I can't say anything about the narrator, but hopefully it's a good one. Um, and again, that's Burial Rights by Hannah Kent. All right. Question three is from Marisha, who says, I really love small town stories, and I've been searching for one to grab my attention. I prefer something dark and serious. I love books like Beartown or J.K. Rowling's A Casual Vacancy, where a close-knit community gets unraveled. Um, I prefer books that don't focus on one character, but rather explore relationships and different perspectives within a small community. I have little fires everywhere on my TBR, but would love more recommendations. All right. I, again, went with a mystery for this one. Uh, I went with Into the Water by Paula Hawkins. Paula Hawkins is, of course, the author of The Girl on the Train. This was her sophomore novel. And this is a mystery, murder mystery question mark. Like, what the mystery is is also kind of a mystery. So um, it is about one character whose name is Nell. Uh, and her, uh, or no, Nell is the sister. Jules is the main character. Um, and Nell dies at the opening of the book. This is not a spoiler. And, but the day before she died, she called her sister um, and her sister didn't pick up. They have a very estranged relationship. Uh, Jules has left town, like left the small town where they live with the goal of never returning because, well, you find out why later in the book. Um, and so the next day, Nell turns up dead. The, the, the theory is that she jumped into what's called the drowning pool, which in this small town in England is, um, or this little village, is the place where a lot of women in town have turned up. And that's why they have called it the drowning pool. And it seems to be this thing that like haunts this little, this little village. Um, and now Nell is dead. So Jules goes back home to, you know, this little town where she's from, um, Nell left a teenage girl behind, so she's got to care for her niece. Uh, but when she gets there, she realizes, like, she's not talked to Nell in a long time, but she does not believe that she jumped. She doesn't think that that's what happened. Um, and so she continues to look into the events, the few days leading up to her sister's death, um, what was going on in her sister's personal life while all of this was happening. And then as that is going on, she's also unraveling secrets from this little village um, and why that area of the river is called the drowning pool so I, I can't tell you like what unravels this small town without telling you what the like spoiler of the mystery is um, but it is dark it's very serious jk rowling's casual vacancy is one of the most like whoo downer books about a, a little <laughs> it's such a downer i mean i enjoyed it but downer books about a small town life that i've ever read and i think if you like that then this will be right up your alley so that's into the water by paula hawkins yeah, no kidding. That book is a depressing, <laughs> a depressing read. I, I also liked it, but like I was when I was at the bookstore and was selling it to people, they're like, "Oh, the author of Harry Potter." I was like, "No, nope. hold, please." Yeah, no. Nope. Like, <laughs> What kind of mood are you in? Like, are you feeling strong? Because, um, so I picked for you one of the uh, Greek chorus books that I always love. Um, the Fates Will Find Their Way by Hannah Pittard, which is about a young woman uh, who's 16, Nora, who goes missing. And the narrative is told by the neighborhood boys, um, as in like the we voice. Um, they're collectively sort of telling the story of she goes away and they're like, 
you know, she just goes missing and they're trying to figure out like what happened to her and there's rumors and like, what was she like? And what, you know, what are they like? And you know, what are all of the little, like, yeah, like the things that the community doesn't want to talk about and how does Nora's disappearance fit into those? Um, and it's very much about this, like, sort of romanticizing and objectification of teenage girls by teenage boys or by society in general. And, um, and then what does it like, why is it that we do that? And like, you know, it's so much more fun to think about that than to think about perhaps our own lives and choices. Um, and what are we avoiding when we sort of fixate on a person who has gone missing in this kind of way? Um, and you get that you get like it like takes place over years. So like, you know, these boys like they're teenage boys at the start and then they grow up and like have their own families and jobs and um, and but like, how does this disappearance in their teenage years shape? the rest of their lives so it's very it is one of those very like wiggly books because you know you're sort of getting a collective perspective but you also get individual stories in there um and it's all unreliable narration because you only know what they're imagining and or telling you so like what the actual facts are are question mark (laughs) um but i think it definitely fits like this like darker toned and you know sort of yeah like who who's keeping what secrets and how do they deal or not deal with those things um it definitely has that vibe So again, that's The Fates Will Find Their Way by Hannah Pittard. Our next question is from Kelly, who says, I discovered that I have a curious but extremely distinct affinity for nonfiction books that cover broad history through a narrow lens. I feel like I'm struggling to describe exactly what type of books I mean, but some titles are Tom Standage's History of the World in Six Glasses, An Edible History of Humanity, At Home by Bill Bryson, Consider the Fork by B. Wilson, and Most Works by Mary Roach and Simon Garfield. I love reading about history, but I've never been a huge fan of biography or auto biography or books that dive too deep into a single event. I I guess I love the big picture slash global view, but with a fun and unique thread tying history together in a way I had never considered before. Um, I'm going to keep talking. I picked for you Pandemic by Sonia Shah, which I would not call it fun, Mm. Um, but I do think it's unique. It's a super interesting book. I also do love this kind of history, and I think this one does something really interesting in that kind of way. Um, So Sonia Shah is an investigative journalist, and she uh, is like sort of researching, you know, what's the next big global pandemic and what kind of disease will it be? Because there's a lot of, you know, speculation and thought about what that will happen. Um, and, you know, epidemiologists are pretty sure that, like, infectious diseases is going to, you know, in the next couple generations, like, there could be a pandemic. Um, but what exactly it is, we just don't know. And so she decides to, like, look at the history of, like, you know, Ebola virus, uh, cholera, um, you know, all of these different things uh, and like how they have been shaped by economics and or our responses to them rather have been shaped by economics and culture and society and, you know, what's going on in the world generally at that time and what's going on in the places where they break out. Um, And she also in the meantime is dealing with like her family. Um, One of her family members develops MRSA bacteria, which is like very hard to get rid of and complicated and 
and then she's looking at, you know, like the like exotic animal markets in China and, you know, medicine in New Delhi and the backyards of the East Coast where there are ticks and Lyme disease. And like, it's just really interesting. So she's taking this sort of disease threads uh, through history and using them to sort of try to figure out like, okay, like what does it look like when a pandemic happens and like what might we expect for the next one? Um, and so it is like a little grisly because she's talking about diseases and diseases are gross. Um, <laughs> but she does it in a really interesting way. I learned I felt like I learned so much from this book and like the personal element too. I mean, I think most of the books that you've described have a touch of that. Like I'm telling you about, you know, science or history, but I'm also telling you a little bit about myself, which I always love. And she does that in this. Um, And I think this book was at least up for an award if it didn't actually win one. Um, So it's like really solid. So again, that's pandemic Uh, subtitle is tracking contagions from cholera to Ebola and beyond. And that's by Sonia Shah. I picked How the Irish Saved Civilization by Thomas Cahill, which is ostensibly a look at the Dark Ages, right? Which is the period of time in specifically European history between the time that Rome fell to about Charlemagne, um, where everything good disappeared, (laughs) like communication disappeared from Europe, scholarship, any form or semblance of academia um, was gone you know, like communication trains with other areas of the world disappeared. Dark ages, they're called the dark ages for a reason. Okay, so he's talking about like this huge, big, broad topic of history through this one specific lens of Irish monks, specifically, um, and how Irish monks during the dark ages were so far removed from everything else that was happening in Europe, both geographically um, and I, there's war, Lee? That's not, no, that's not a thing. Violence? They were so far removed from the violence and um, that like the darkness of the dark ages during this time period that because of where they were situated, you know, on this like <laughs> series of small, tiny islands that they were able to spend their time really like laboriously copying written texts that we would have lost if it weren't for them. So after the dark ages ended and Europe emerged from this terrible time period, um, they had these texts that we would have otherwise lost, which would have set Western civilization specifically back, um, who knows, but by who knows how much. Um, So it's both, uh, it's like biblical texts, uh, works of Judaism, but also like early kinds of fiction and philosophy, um, classics as in like from the classical Greek period, not classics like Dickens, obviously, Um, things that they copied and preserved in their monasteries because nobody cared what they were doing (laughs) because they were so far away from everything that was happening, which was mostly, you know, pillaging, um, that they were able to operate kind of in peace. So it's not, the the title is a bit misleading. It's not really how the Irish saved civilization. It's how Irish monks saved this one very specific part of Western civilization uh, would be more accurate. But it's still really fascinating because the Dark Ages are this really, really long, complicated, deadly period full of like violence and, well, mostly just violence, um, where like maybe nothing good really happened except these little men just like toiling along, copying their pages for decades. And in doing that, we're able to preserve pieces of culture that we otherwise would have lost. So that is How the Irish Saved Civilization by Thomas Cahill. 
All right. Our next sponsor is At the Wolf's Table by Rosella Posterino. And this is for my historical fiction fans out there. Um, this is an internationally best-selling novel and it is based on the real-life women who were Hitler's taste testers. So if World War II history is your jam, you're going to want to check this out. Um, it So these women were conscript, conscripted excuse me, to be Hitler's food tasters. Um, and the book follows a young woman named Rosa who is 26 um, in Germany in 1943. Um, her parents are gone. Her husband's fighting and impoverished and alone. She decides to go to Ber- she decides to leave Berlin for the countryside. But instead, the SS come and say that she has to be one of Hitler's tasters. And so every day, she and nine other women go to his headquarters to eat his meals before he does. Um, and obviously, this is a really high stakes and fraught environment. So there's lots of secrets and resentments and tensions. Um, but also also, they're all in this sort of together, so it's a very unlikely sisterhood. Uh, so this is the story uh, based on true facts um, about, you know, what that might have been like. And again, uh, this is one that is internationally best-selling. So that is an interesting thing to see land in the U.S. always. Um, and yeah, thank you so much to Flatiron Books. Again, that's At the Wolf's Table by Rosella Posterino. All right. Question five is from Matt who says, I'm a middle school teacher and have recently started a Dungeons and Dragons club at my school, and the response has been overwhelming. I expected 8 to 10 kids to sign up, but actually had over 30. As we begin to play D&D and other RPGs, I'd love to be able to have an inspiration library stocked with fantasy adventure books. Obviously, I need titles from Tolkien, Terry Pratchett, and J.K. Rowling, but I would love to include books with strong female and minority protagonists. I want my new club to be inclusive to everyone, and my goal is to provide something for everyone. Okay, I picked Dactyl Hill Squad by Daniel Jose Older, um, which is a Civil War era middle grade fantasy novel with dinosaurs. Yes! <laughs> yes! So it takes place obviously during the Civil War in 1863 in New York, um, and the main character is a girl named Magdalus. Um, and her and her friends live in the Colored Orphan Asylum. They are on a field trip during, and this is during the Civil War. And the thing that I love most about this is like the army, the Confederates in the South fight. Uh, they all, well, they all do. Uh, both sides uh, fight on raptors. Like the armies are mounted raptor. Like that. That's. <laughs> I just love it. These like little weird dinosaur details. They're so good. Um, anyway, so Magdalus is on a field trip with her um, her friends from the orphan asylum. And then the draft riots break out. And a lot of her her and her friends are kidnapped by Richard Riker. I'm sure this name sounds familiar to her. Virtue. Um, they flee to Brooklyn and they settle in the Dactyl Hill neighborhood, which is kind of like a, not a refugee area, but an area of New York where black and brown New Yorkers have set up their own community which is safe from the things that are happening to black and brown people in Manhattan. So while they're there, they come up with this plot to take down Riker, make new friends. There's lots of dinosaurs. They ride pterodactyls. I don't know what you want. What else do you want from me? <laughs> like, it's a really great way, I think, to introduce things that, like, actual history, obviously. The draft riots were a real thing. It's got a very, like, Gangs of New York kind of feel, um, which was also a real thing. But, you know, those movies, the movie Gangs of New York and a lot of books that are written about that event or those events in the history of New York completely ignore non-white minority populations um, who were living in the area at the time. And so this doesn't do that. Plus, there's 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 pterodactyls. Like, people ride raptors. This is amazing. I love this one. So it's Dactyl Hill Squad by Daniel Jose Older. 
Amazing. Um, I picked the Jumbies by Tracy Baptiste, which is on the like young middle grade side. Like you mentioned, like Terry Pratchett, which is like technically adult, but like certainly YA appropriate. But you also said you worked for middle school, so I was I was like, oh, I don't know if this is too young, but I think it's great. Um, and if you have kids who like horror, then this is super good for that. Um, this is a story that takes place on like a Caribbean island, um, and it is rooted in Caribbean folklore. It's about a young girl named Corinne who like doesn't believe in all of the superstitions about you know the things that hide in the forest. Um, she's like, no, nah, it's fine. There's not. Those <laughs> aren't real or maybe they are um one night she chases a little animal into the forest and maybe sees something and then the next day a a stranger suddenly appears at the market um and you know comes to her house and enchants her dad and uh and she has to figure out like oh what does this person want person is it even a person um and how do i you know save my dad and save our village from whatever this malevolent spirit is um and it's really great it's got a really lovely little group of friends and I was thinking about the plot and I was like oh it totally does feel in certain ways like a D&D campaign like you know they have to figure out like okay what's the first part of this journey okay who's gonna you know roll for bravery like who's gonna back out like who's gonna you know figure out the trick like it, it they all take a huge part in making you know the action happen um, it's not just like one heroine with some sidekicks like it, there's a nice dynamic among the kids that are uh, in the book and and it's definitely like got a lot of action and there's some really great scenes and it is a little it's like spooky creepy so I think this would be a fun one um, to offer to the kids and I could totally see an amazing like campaign based around the kind of story that this is so again that's the Jumbies Um, it's actually the first in a series and the author is Tracy Baptiste All right. Next question is from Crazy Cat Lady. Hello. Um, A peculiar request. I'm especially fond of books where humans are aided by talking cats. Neil Gaiman's Coraline is a good example, as are many of the Tortal books by Tamara Pierce. I would love suggestions for other books with human-cat partnerships. What you got, Amanda? Okay, I picked Sabriel by Garth Nix, which is the first book in the Old Kingdom series, which is ongoing-ish. Like, there are... (laughs) Ish? There are three, I think, books specifically about Sabriel and her cohorts and then some side universe uh, books that he's he's still writing that are still coming out. Um, So in Sabriel, the main character, obviously her name is Sabriel, um, she goes to a boarding school and she's been there her whole life. Her father sent her there. Uh, Her father is the Abhorsen, which in this fantasy universe is the one who, he's a necromancer. He's responsible. Wait, is that right? Yes. Yes. He's responsible for keeping the dead dead uh, because... In this universe, the dead don't always stay dead. Sometimes they come back to life and they like to torment people, uh, places, and things. So Sabriel is completely removed from that. She doesn't have a real relationship with her father. Um, and she's just, like, at school, right? Uh, and the part that she's at school in a place called Ancelstier, which doesn't have any real magic happening. So she's totally unfamiliar with the goings-on of the old kingdom where her father lives and of his job. But then he goes missing. Um, the person he goes missing. And she has to, she becomes determined, really, to go back to the Old Kingdom to find him, which means she's going to have to take up the mantle of being the Aporson temporarily. Um, the cat part comes in with Mugget. Mugget oh, is the best character ever. Mugget is a, like, I don't even know how to describe it, an entrapped spirit thing. I can't, like, go into more detail without kind of spoiling it for you. Um, but he is 
forced to be a servant for the Aporsen because of things that he has done in his past, Mogget. And so he guards the house where the Aporsen lives. Um, when Sabriel goes home, um, she finds him there. And he takes various, like he takes a lot of different forms depending on, um, well, depending on a lot of things that don't matter. But for the most part in Sabriel, he is a cat. He's a very temperamental cat. Um, and he is, he has to serve the Aporsen, right? Like he has to, it's part of this like spell that's set on him. Um, but he doesn't always do it in spirit. Like sometimes he takes her orders literally, which aren't what she means. He's very mischievous. Um, the farther the books go, the more you learn about him. But Maget as a character is so sassy and good and I love him so so much um and he's one of those like morally you don't know like whose side he's on really um he only behaves when he has to because of spells so that's Sabriel by Garth Nix yes all of the cosine for Mogget um we have a we have a hundred must read books with cats uh link that I'm gonna leave in the show notes because you know you are not the only person who loves cats in books it turns out um and yeah we we they did a, the contributor who wrote it did a great roundup um I picked Midnight Crossroad by Charlene Harris, which is the first in the midnight Texas series. This is actually the first Charlene Harris I ever read in recent and I read it in recent years and um I really enjoyed it it's like a small town in Texas called Midnight, as you might have guessed, um, where there are like a very motley crew of people living there. Like there's a vampire and there's maybe a fallen angel and there's a witch and she does in fact have a talking cat. Um, and, you know, there's also like a pawn shop and a diner. Like it looks from the outside like a regular enough town. It's just that the residents are not at all who you think they might be. Um, and the story follows Manfred Bernardo, who is this like, it, it, you think he's actually a con artist who poses as a psychic, but he turns out to be both a con artist and a psychic. Um, and he's a little bit on the run and he thinks that this is maybe going to be a good place for him to hide out. And of course, uh, you know, Things do not work out according to plan. Um, and the cat is a really great sassy character. The witch is my favorite character in the books for sure. She's so great. Um, but it's not just them. Like you hop around from character to character and get all these different perspectives and parts of the story. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It was super fun. And I think it will scratch like a lot of the same, you know, fantasy, urban fantasy itches. But it's it's got that small town feel. And a talking cat. So, you know, what more do you want? Um, so, again, that's Midnight Crossroad by Charlene Harris. All right. Our last question is from Terry. And the question is just cozy nothings? Okay, there's more. Um, Terry says, it could be the weather or just the time of year, but I've, enjoying, I've been enjoying Nothing of Contention Happens books recently. My go-to series for this is the Cat Who series by Lillian Jackson Braun, which is set in a fictional small town and focuses primarily on the day-to-day -day life of people there. Technically, it's a cozy mystery, but the mystery is very minimal. Other examples would be Anne of Green Gables, Little Women, Agatha Christie before the murder <laughs> kicks in. <laughs> Before the murder kicks in, and the Mitford series, contemporary or classical adult lit series preferred and bonus if they are on audio. Okay, so I picked, I did pick a cozy mystery series um, because of the Agatha Christie part and the parts before this, nothing much happens before the murder kicks in. So I feel like you'll enjoy it. And that's the Flavia de Luce series by Alan Bradley. Um, the first is The Sweetness at the Bottom of the Pie. These are available on audio, and there are so many. I think he just wrote the eighth or ninth book in this series. Uh, and they all are about Flavia de Luce, who is a, who how old is she? 10 or 11-year-old girl who lives 
in the UK in a tiny little village and a huge old country manor house. Her family has a history of being, you know, like landed gentry, very wealthy. But after World War II, that is all gone. Her mother is dead. Her father has undiagnosed PTSD and is completely unpresent. And her and her three sisters just kind of you know, run around this like ramshackle country manor doing nothing and getting into trouble. Except Flavia is a brilliant chemist and has taken over like whole wings of this old house and dedicated it to like science and creating poisons to torment her siblings um, and to entertain herself really. And then uh, in the first book and of course every book after that, someone dies and she has to solve the murder, um, mostly by being a pain in the butt. To <laughs> the the police who are doing their best. It's got that kind of um, murder she wrote feel where you're like, how many people could possibly be murdered in a village this size? <laughs> that confuses me. Um, but it, it's very slice of life. Like it's all this drama of what's happening in this one house and the, the, this family and their weird interactions and their money problems and like nothing much happens because it's a tiny English village in the summer of 1950. So that is The Sweetness at the Bottom of the Pie by Alan Bradley. I had to get help for this one because most of the books I've read where nothing happens are like very tense. Like that's a thing in literary fiction, like nothing happens, but you feel really intense about it. Um, and so I needed the opposite base. Well, not the opposite, but I needed the flip. Um, and Jeff from the main po- podcast recommended Lillian Boxfish takes a walk, which does sound like exactly what you're looking for. It is about an 85 year old woman named Lillian Boxfish who is taking a walk around Manhattan in 1984. Um, it's the last day of the year. Year, and she has decided to like take herself on a little walk around Manhattan and that is the whole plot. Um, she's just walking and she's you know chatting with like bodega clerks and security guards and kids and you know people with strollers and whatever um, and she's also thinking back on her life um, that included uh, you know a moment in time she was the highest paid advertising woman in America um, she got married she had a divorce and a breakdown and all of these things so she's lived a life um, and she's also because of course 1984 New York like when you think about what's going on in New York at that point like it's still a pretty gritty city and there's a lot of different things like you know there was the jazz age and the 20s and then you know there's the AIDS epidemic and the 80s and 70s um, and, you know, you've got the Great Depression in there and you've got hip hop. Um, so it, she has lived in a moment in which a lot has gone on in the city. Um, and so it's basically about her reminiscing about her life and the life of the city around her. So I feel like that would definitely fit the bill. Um, again, that is Lillian Boxfish Takes a Walk by Kathleen Rooney. And that's our show. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, If you would like to leave a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts, we would super appreciate it. We love to see the feedback and it helps other folks to find the show. Thank you to today's sponsors for making this episode possible. You can find us on social media. I am on Twitter as Jen IRL and that is Jen with two N's IRL. I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye.